Welcome to the Bold SLP Podcast. We are so happy that you're here and can't wait to share with you all of the amazing conversations we've been having. We are the co-founders of the Bold SLP Collective, and we are also your hosts, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. Each of us has a variety of experiences in all things bilingual and bimodal speech-language pathology. You'll get to know us pretty well on here. We started this podcast to share our lived experiences, but also because we want to bring advocacy and cultural humility to the forefront of every speech therapy conversation. We hope that you'll join us each week, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Bold SLP podcast. Uh, I'm here with Ingrid and Desi, and today we are here with Dr. Ianessa Humbert. Hello. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast today. Of course. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Ianessa Humbert, and I am a speech pathologist who has a master's, PhD, and undergrad. Um, And it's my area of focus primarily has been swallowing and swallowing disorders. Um, I was on faculty at Johns Hopkins University for eight years in the School of Medicine, and then four years at University of Florida and then University of Iowa. Um, I have garnered um, more than $6 million worth of grants to study swallowing and swallowing disorders. And then I decided I was done with academia and I retired in 2020. And I decided to really allow the business that I created um, with Rinki Verandani Desai, um, the co-creator of STEP, which stands for the Swallowing Training Education Portal. Um, I decided that we would work on just flourishing that and it really has completely taken off. It's an online portal for people to learn about swallowing and swallowing disorders. And part of the reason is that I've given talks in almost every continent, actually every continent and every state United States of hundreds of talks. And I just needed a place for to put everything. So it is a high quality, low cost way for people to learn. And that is what I have been doing lately with my time. It's such a mouthful, like your entire resume. It's just, it's, it's so incredible. And one would never know hearing all of the things that you've done, like how much you've had to struggle uh, on every level, just based on what you look like and I guess how you speak and what people expect of you or don't expect of you. So I heard your name for the first time when there was drama happening at ASHA and Jordan was like speaking out on your behalf and I hadn't seen you and I didn't know at all like your energy or your vibe. I just saw your name in writing And I heard that, you know, you were, people were saying things about you and, and, you know, we have to all come together to defend this lady. And and I was like, okay. And then you did a live and then I heard you speak (laughs) like it hadn't affected you at all what was said. And so how, I don't know, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you remain so unbothered when, when people just start up nonsense? So a couple things. One thing, when people, when you said what you look like, people should know that I have actually an ear growing out of my forehead. I'm just joking. I just, <laughs> just when you're like, what she looked like, like, what does she look like? What's going on with this lady? <laughs> um, so let me just give a little background. So um, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. My whole family is Jamaican. I moved to the United States when I was 14 in 1990. And um, I did my high school uh, here. I was a performing arts major, piano major. 
Um, my family's super religious. Um, I'm not. <laughs> and I was a church pianist from age 7 to 14. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, if you look at me, everyone assumes I'm African-American. I'm newly American. I'm Canadian and Jamaican, and uh, I've been in the United States for 30 years. So whatever, I'm Black. Um, and I'm female. And uh, our field is 92% white female and 4% male and 3% Black. So I am in the minority by far when it comes to racial ethnic background. What I am in the extreme minority in, it's not just the 3%, but the 0.0001%, I can go farther, is that I'm Ianessa. There's nobody like me. There's actually no nobody like any of you guys, but the thing is most people don't know that about themselves. Most people are so busy trying to fit in and figure out where they belong. Um, and where you belong isn't necessarily among the people who fit your demographic. Sometimes it's easy to find yourself there, and sometimes it's not easy. Um, when I moved to the United States, based on my Black Rockette article that I wrote about being an SLP who is Black in the, in the United States, I started out with um, some anecdotes about when I moved to the United States, um, a lot of African Americans made it clear that I'm not Black. And I remember, I remember thinking, well, it's funny because when I walk into Dillard's, because that was the name of the Southern big time, you know, department store, um, they think I steal just like everybody else. So well, there's that. Um, turns out they don't stop and go, oh, no, she's cool, guys. She's Canadian. So uh, you are what you look like in this country. Um, I learned that very quickly in the middle of Desert Storm in the Deep South Bible Belt. <laughs> so that said, um, I had an experience um, from jump, I mean, my parents being immigrants to the United, to Canada, meant that they were always expecting the thing, the one thing that you guys probably, I don't know where you're from, and I don't know if you are from immigrants or you are an immigrant, but one thing about immigrants is they leave their country to go to a new place where they know they don't belong. They fully expect to be hoodwinked by the natives of wherever they're going. So when they are, it's like, aha! You tried to hoodwink me. That's what y'all be doing. That's the culture that I was raised in, right? And so by the time I moved to the United States, I was a double immigrant because I had a strong immigrant family upbringing. And then I became one myself, right? Um, so by the time ASHA happened, the result, it doesn't mean that it's, it, I was unbothered and unhurt by what humans are capable of. While that was happening on one side, the other thing was, should we get surprised by people doing exactly what they've done for 400 years in this country? That's like, water is wet, y'all. Did y'all know water is wet? Now, should I be sitting here thinking, oh my God, every time I stand in the rain, I be getting wet? No, it's rain, people. I'm in a white country with white supremacy, and I'm in a... the third, fourth, most whitest field in the United States. What did I think they were gonna roll out a carpet for me? They never have, why would they start now? I recognize that I'm a threat because I show up areas where they're not comfortable with their life. And instead of holding a mirror to themselves and saying, why, do, why does she make me so unnerved? They say, she makes me unnerved, go after her. And this is human behavior. It's not unique to white people. It's unique to humans. I just happen to recognize it in that group in particular because they continue to show me that that's what they were capable of. But I'm really curious about what your thoughts are on all the things that I said.
I 100% agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, we all do come from immigrant backgrounds. Um, and uh, specifically, like for me, my family, um, my family's Cuban. Uh, and we've lived in different states in the United States. My family currently lives in Miami, but I grew up in New Jersey. And even today, I was talking with a colleague of mine, and I was explaining that when I got to school, um, English was not my first language, and I was put in ESOL courses. And um, I just recently had a conversation with my mom where she didn't even know that I was enrolled in ESOL, that I was being taken out of class and put somewhere else to learn. Um, and that was for two years. So it's really interesting that you're putting it into this perspective because it is like a, like, you know, my mom was like, okay. Um, you know, she came to visit me here. And I mean, the comments that she got from one of my neighbors were like super fascinating. Um, yeah, this is a lady with an accent, like, okay. Um, you know, like it's, it's just really interesting when you just, stand out for being who you are or coming from your background. Um, and I think that at this point, we have not come far enough as a field for sure. I mean, um, much less a society, we are still stuck in the mud. Uh, and we were just saying this with our previous guest, we are back in 2019. It's like nothing has happened. I was thinking of my parents are also immigrants. Uh, not by choice, they came as refugees, but it's like they hid everything that you were saying about just like knowing about being hoodwinked and just like being aware of what your surroundings are. I was unaware. My parents thought if I like, if we were in Canada and we were in the right schools and surrounded by white people, I would just kind of blend in. <laughs> I don't know. And so, um, I mean, church, you were always accepted in church. Uh, because it was like all of my people, I guess. And even if I went to like a white church, we were still Christian and we still had that in common. But school was a whole different ball game. And I I just always wanted to fit in so badly. And I didn't know why I wasn't fitting in. And I know from different things that that you had written that like we were not meant to fit in. Like we were meant to just be ourselves. Um, and Ingrid, you had mentioned in the last episode that like there's kind of a difference being born in Canada and America. I think it's like, really deeply ingrained in you that like you don't belong but yeah it was I'm more aware of it now because I'm surrounded by people who have the conversation and who just openly talk about it and people just shied away from it or made you feel like why are you bringing this up this is so like passe but it's really what you're saying like is water wet like of course huh <sighs> I had um Ianessa Dr. Humbert's experience um I was born here but my mom quickly was like, we can't be here. Um, and I came back as a teenager. And so all the things that you referred to in your article, I experienced. And I've talked about it before, about not feeling Mexican enough. And then also like meeting the Mexican-American community here and not quite knowing what that feels like having grown up here. And then, of course, like not quite fitting in anywhere with white people, even though I'm like fairly white. So I, I do get that. And I'm going to take that with me that like, what did you expect? That's what they do here. And yeah, that's how my mom was all the time. And I think that's why I have that sense of like, I know who I am as Mexican American. But yeah, I so relate to that. And I wanted to yeah. full disclose before we even started. And I'm sorry, my voice is so awful. But 
I went to school with Rinky. Oh, so I've known about you for a long time. So that my major like awareness of you was when you guys launched Step. I think it was like 2018. I remember because I was a new mom of two and I finally decided like I'm done doing PRN and I didn't understand like why it was so exhausting for me, but like learning from you guys, like how this is not the way it's supposed to be and they trained you wrong and it's not your fault that you go into these jobs and you're unprepared. I don't know if what you intended, but I was like, I'm not taking these jobs anymore until y'all change. Like, I'm just not going to do it. And I stopped because I'm like, it's so draining. And I just blamed it on myself. You know, it's because I went into the schools or I moved into this tiny town, you know, and it's like, no, I took one swallowing class and that was it. They said, here, go and, you know, make sure people can eat. And I was like, that is not enough. So that was my first introduction to you. And then the thing with Asha, of course, I right away, I like reshared it. Like it was, like you said, there's no question. Is, is it raining? Yes, it was clear. Um, but then your lives that you started doing on Instagram for free, I started like texting the girls. I'm like, you guys need to watch these. Like, it's not all about swallowing. I connect all the things about being a scientist to what I do in the schools. It's so important what you do. So Thank you for saying that. Um, I just want to sort of make a connection among what everybody's saying, which is, um, for instance, um, Desi, am I saying that properly? Okay. So you're talking about a circumstance where you knew something was weird and people were fascinated by the accents, but you didn't understand why they couldn't just like move on, right? <laughs> I mean, everyone has a circumstance where you're like, I knew that I was different, but everyone was trying to like gaslight me about something. Stop listening to that and internalizing their bullshit. Who wins and who loses when that message is received by you? Not you. You're not the one who wins. You lose and they win when they try to tell you, oh, no, it's all in your head. I would never do that. For instance, um, a good example is, as you guys know, like when you said like we're right back to 2019, I was like, baby girl, we ain't never left nowhere. I mean, 2019, I know sounds like, oh my God, it's going to be the year where, mm -mm, baby, let me tell you, Black people who know there's there's racism and there's anti-Black racism. They're not the same thing, right? Um, so to your point, am I saying it properly, Liza? Lisa. Lisa, thank you for the correction. Um, as an example, when this happened to me, everyone's like, I want you to know I'm an ally. Okay. Guess what? If I'm walking in the street and a stranger comes up to me and says, I want you to know I'm your friend, I'd be like, so that is a position that's bestowed upon you by me. You don't get to decide. And it can be snatched back the second I decide that you're not anymore. Nobody walks up to you as a man and says, I just want to let you know, don't have a sexist bone in my body. I'm a feminist. And then you're like, why is that guy saying that? He must be totally sexist because what the hell, right? So when a white person goes, I want you to know I'm an ally, I'm like, I'm worried about you most, ma'am, because why do you need to say that? I should already know. And I'm the one who decides if you're a perpetrator or not. Let people do what they're going to do so you can see what they'd rather do. And when they do what they rather do, don't say they didn't mean that. That's the only evidence you have. I feel like I've, I've stood up against these kinds of microaggressions or full on aggressions. And I've called out the things like, oh, why do you think that? Or what made you scared of this situation? Um, 
So you're saying that you had some concern with, um, if you had, in a nutshell, how did you feel in the mo in these moments? Can you tell me? Yeah, so there was a time where I was realizing that I would say something and it'd be like, oh, that's just Lisa. And then a white lady would say the exact same thing and everyone would be like, that's so brilliant. And I was yeah. like, wait, the... I know. And I just find that so, so funny. That so your not... point is, your so your question is, um, how, well, I guess my question is, what did you do in the wake of those moments? What did you do? So I did not realize anything had happened until this white lady said the same thing as me. So when the microaggression took place, I didn't even notice it. I was like, ah, yeah, I'm just being crazy. So I allowed myself to be gaslit. And then when, when uh, I realized what was happening, my immediate reaction was, I, I just cried. You are doing exactly the same thing that somebody else does who was born with less melanin. Therefore, your brain doesn't matter. That's the truth. Your capacity was overlooked because the coloring didn't match what they think it should be. So what you did was part of what we all do is a finding a place to belong. Where can I lay my head where I'm appreciated and valued? That's what all humans want. All humans are looking for belonging, whether it be in this circumstance or a super homogeneous place like Finland, where I'm sorry, your hair is strawberry blonde, not blonde. And like, that is the most diverse thing they've ever seen. <laughs> still looking for belonging. And when you realize you're looking for belonging, you can do one of two things, right? You can keep jumping around a lily pad until you find it. Or you can realize two things. One is people don't lose, don't leave personal at home. You don't take what, when you have your first job at 16, do you leave, leave 16 of your rearing when you work at, you know, the, the pizza place? Do you not take that with you? How much more is it the case when you're 30 at your first, at your, at, at an SLP job, you don't leave anything at home. So in the same way, you don't leave your being and everything you're trained at home, neither do they. So when they say, oh, it's just, it's not personal, everything is personal. Otherwise, egos would never mean that patients don't get the best care. And we know that's the case, right? That's one. And the other thing is, you can also create a space that you belong in. We know people have done this in the United States, at least. So look up Tulsa Greenwood neighborhood in 1921. This is a place where uh, there was oil in abundance and they they had all kinds of people move there that black people white people all kinds of people move there and uh there were a lot of black millionaires and white millionaires of course they weren't allowed to mix because white people didn't want any black people around them so the black people had a thriving community with everything you would need grocery stores barbershops banks schools churches and sanctioned by the united states white people were jealous white millionaires were jealous of black millionaires so they went and bonded and that's why right now stands a, and it was 1921, which is why there is now a brand new museum there in Greenwood, right at the heart of where this happened, sanctioned by the city so people don't forget what happened. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because they had far worse circumstances and they built a whole community. We have policy on our side. We can create our own thing. We don't have to wait for the system to catch up to us. They're never going to value us. They've never valued us this whole time. Why is tomorrow going to be the day that they're going to be like, you know what? SLPs matter. Why, why would they do that? It's not in their interest to do that. And you can say the same thing about any demographic that doesn't value you. Why is tomorrow going to be the day? Why are we spending all the time we spend trying to get a group of people who don't appreciate us to appreciate us, we could have already built our own thing. And the reason I'm saying this, because I'm a living example of it. I happened to build step 
on the side with everything going on in my life, not knowing it would be the thing that allowed me to leave an institution that did not want me to be there anymore. If I didn't have that, I'd be right there complaining about this horrible situation. I wouldn't have something else to go to. So the conversations, I love the conversations about how are you so resilient? It's because I had some means, people. I had ration. I had provisions. I had. I was a pioneer and I planned. I had a whole city over there that I could move to. If you rely on the people who have shown you your whole life that they don't like you, they don't value you. And to your point, Lisa, they make you cry because they don't appreciate you. Why are they going to change tomorrow? Why are they going to change next month or next year? They'd have to admit that there are people who do this. That is really hard to do. They're never going to admit it. They're only going to admit it when you go and you become successful, successful and they say, you know what? I always liked you. You were always, oh, oh, really? That you that that was you demonstrating you like me? Mm, enjoyed it. Yeah. And I was just thinking, it's so great that you just said that because I was trying to think like, oh man, you know, I do still work within the system, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, wait, but I have my own version of step here with these ladies. And it's been really amazing to have an outlet where the three of us have connected so much. And it's wonderful to hear that from you. We do not have any sort of a platform from which to like launch ourselves and like be independent or anything like that. Um, you know, financially independent <laughs> based on what we do here on this podcast. But I do think it's really awesome that you promote this among people who are minorities, because you know, again, like this is not something that I, I think talking about resilience, resilience is building a new space, is finding a new space. It's not necessarily just putting your head down, like you were saying, and just dealing with it. It is coming up with creative solutions. And it's, it's, just, it's really fascinating. And I think that all SLP should be having these moments of advocacy, self-advocacy. And I feel like you're just a shining example of that. Um, and one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Part of what you guys are learning, I guess, is that the system you're in might not be built for you, but what can you learn from it? So you can take it to your next space. You know, it's not your be all, you didn't marry it. Um, you're there to figure out how it can serve you for your next step. And by taking the good and the bad and everything in between, you learn what you want to do more of and what you never want to do wherever you go next. Desi, you had a question about data? I wanted to ask the question about data just because I'm curious, like, again, you also have kind of made a space for yourself outside of, you know, clinical work, um, you know, SLP clinical work. Um, so I guess part of that resilience, right, is still you're still somehow involved in trying to shape the profession through this work. And I'm just curious, um, I'm wondering if you could explain where you are at this point in time in your feelings toward the, the actual profession. Yeah, so there's a difference between the humans who have a job called speech pathology where they wanna help other people with communication and feeding issues and institutions. Institutions are a group of people who mostly are sheep and bound to papers and policies that somebody wrote long time before they did, and they don't know why they're following it, or they think they know, or they have to figure out why they know, because when it's not serving them, it takes five years to figure out, should we talk about why it's not serving us? And then maybe 20 years to get rid of it, right? Um, so a good example is um, 
you know, just anything at your job where you go, why are we still doing this? And their answer is like, well, we've just kind of always done it this way. And you go, but why? And they know everyone looks around like you're a troublemaker for asking. That's what institutions are. People who I care about human beings with communication and feeding. Who are the direct conduits to that? Speech pathologists. Speech pathologists, most speech pathologists aren't really caught up in the ASHA drama um, in a way where they are encumbered by it. They're annoyed by it. Sometimes they're disgraced by it, but they go every day. And I think that they try their very best to help the person in the room with them or the person they're in the room with. And that is far, I mean, if it wasn't that, it'd be something else that I'd be involved in. Why not this? This is where I have my expertise. So the point is that everything isn't, so if you think of everything in a binary way, it's black or white. Speech pathologists are certified by ASHA, so I can't like any of them. Well, now I'm dumb, right? Like there's gray space, there's nuance. Like you have to be able to hold two thoughts in your head at the same time and understand that they can be differing and make sense of them. That's what intelligence and critical thinking are. So my interest in people with feeding and swallowing disorders in particular require me to um, do what I can to elevate the primary service providers of these individuals. Um, SDI, the SLP data initiative, is one where um, a group of people who have a genuine interest like mine to elevate the profession thought, you know, instead of coming and saying, hey, SLP, SLPs, here's a solution for you pay us this money or sign up to this thing or give us your time or give us your attention, all of which are resources that we don't necessarily deserve just because we said it. We thought, well, we don't, we have so many questions. We don't know what solutions are. We can sit here and assume that SLPs all hate their salary or all are stressed or all hate the diversity issue or think there's no collegiality. We could sit here and assume that, or we can ask them, in the best way we can and allow them access to all the data, all the raw data, so they can understand who they are, so they can make their own solutions in their own microcosm. I believe that, like, you know, a lot of politics are local. Um, a lot of politics where you are and the rules and regs that you're issuing, that you're dealing with, they're local too. You know, whatever I might have been dealing with at Hopkins with the policies there as a you know, associate professor, aren't the issues that uh, a speech pathologist in a sniff is having when, you know, the person says, you have to make this person eat pudding. And, and it's totally different issues. But we might be drawing from the same data to make our point to our employers or to our grant administrators, to whoever the people are, or maybe to caregivers or other SLPs. Um, so the point is, how can we create a, a bank of knowledge where people can pull from to say, ah, this is great, a great resource, because the ASHA Omnibus Survey doesn't ask about strengths and weaknesses of the field. Why would they? It is of no benefit for them to find out the speech pathologists don't like something that they do. The Omnibus is, who are we in terms of demographics? Where do we work? What are our salaries? Not, do you think we do anything right here at ASHA? Right? Um, I'm not in, I don't, I'm not sure that they're interested because you are required to pay them for most of your jobs or at least for the clinical competency. So that's why we did that. And so on starting on April 2nd, I believe we will start to roll out the data week by week on a Sunday and just present the data by category because we collected across several categories. Um, so um, we will start to just share the raw data. We're not going to sit there and interpret it for everybody. Um, we will probably have some discussions, podcasts to sort of go into what the data are. But our goal is first is just to roll out the data and let people comment on it. And that's our goal.
think we're going to be wrapping up soon, which is making me kind of sad. Um, but how can people find you? Well, before that, is there anything you would like the listeners to know that we haven't touched on? Um, I think the most important thing that listeners need to know that we haven't touched on is that um, it's going to sound so trite and annoying, but there is a problem and it's, yes, we could say it's ASHA, we can say it's policy, we can say these things, but the only way to get stuff done is for you to get up and do it every day. That is the only way. Whatever it is you want to do, I know it's so easy. And yes, complaining as a group does matter. It does serve a purpose in terms of saying, do we agree on this problem? Do we agree on a solution? But at the end of that, you have to do something. And maybe it is something as simple as, how can I use my skills in a different domain? Or I could say, how can I improve this domain? So if you actually start doing something, whatever that is, that's a difference maker. If you feel downtrodden and different, and like, I don't give a shit about anything, that's where you're going to stay. It's just the way of the world. It's not just for speech pathologists, it's for everything. It's for every goal you have in your life. And to the extent that you cannot see yourself as a victim. So one thing that I like about this group is we sort of have something that makes us different from whatever the majority is in our field, right? Bilingual, um, parents are immigrants, um, et cetera, whatever it is. Um, but you guys probably all know that taking charge of whatever the issue is and saying, I could sit here and complain that the man, whoever the man is, is going to be, is going to keep me down. But guess what? We were, we are the man too, right? English is, as a second language. I don't know what that world is. I've always sounded like this. And even as a black person in this country, I have a benefit for people thinking I sound white. I'm able-bodied. I don't know what it is to be in a wheelchair or be somebody who has to, um, who is legally blind. I have no clue. I have all my mental faculties. Um, I, I came from a household with loving parents who wanted nothing more than to see me succeed. There's so many ways that I came out on top and was born on second base. For every way I was born, not on first base, or, uh, some I was born on second base in other ways. Why don't I just leverage those things? Yes, acknowledge the things that are a problem in the system, but also leverage the things that you have because literally everybody has something. I love that. Do something. Yeah, that was that kept echoing my head too. And when I was just sitting there, like this is not going to be my life. I'm not going to sit here and, and dwell on this forever. And it's not going to be my life. So before you tell us where we can find you. Um, or contact you in any way if we have more questions. Do you have any conferences or workshops or anything coming up? Yeah, so we have a meeting called Swallow Physiology Masterclass Tier 3. The first two tiers one and two were online courses that I created. And tier three is an in-person course that will be at Washington D in Washington, DC on June 3rd and 4th. And the goal is it's really not so much about swallowing, it's more about human behavior and interacting as a clinician with swallowing. So what we can complain about, oh, they won't let me have fluoro, video fluoroscopy or x-ray. Oh, they, they make me sit in a dining room and watch people eat. Or you can figure out why you're doing it. <laughs> we can talk about that. We can talk about why you don't want to go against the grain. How come you've been doing it for five years and complaining about it? We can talk about all those things because at the end of the day, you can know your anatomy and physiology. You can know all the rules and regs and you can still not be able to enact the best possible care because of the constraints of the clinical circumstance you're in, right? 
We all, and it's not just for swallowing. Think about how many times you're like, oh, I could help this patient or this client so much better if they wouldn't make me so-and-so, or if I had a whole hour instead of 30 minutes, or I didn't have to do group therapy. And the question is, how is our interaction with institutions brainwashing us from doing the right thing? Because guess what? You are part of the institution when you do what you're saying they're going to do. You can't be an American and be like, America, so annoying, right? Aren't you here voting? Aren't you here paying taxes? Aren't you here being an American? So you can complain about the institution you work in, but you are part of the problem as long as you're there enacting the same policies, except it looks weird because you're like, I hate this and I get up every day and do it. So it's more about let's look at ourselves and figure out how we can actually be better clinicians in a system that won't let us um, while abiding by certain necessary rules. Like, yes, we need to document. Yes, we need to make sure that the patient can get reimbursed, that we can get reimbursed for it. But how do we do that in such a way where the patient still gets the best care? Thank you. Wait, how can we find you? What are your sure. handles? So you can find me um, on Instagram. It's my first name and my last name, Ianessa Humbert. Um, you can find me at ianessahumbert.com. And as it turns out, I'm going to be on TV on Saturday. <laughs> So uh, you can find me on Oprah Winfrey Network on the on Love and Marriage DC as a swallowologist counseling a couple with particular sexual issues. So I'm in a number of different places, y'all. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Love I'm going to have to find that. <laughs> if you go to my page, you'll see that the last post I have is actually the promo um, for the finale that's going to be on Saturday. I recorded it in November, but you know, it's, it airs when it airs. I, Oprah doesn't listen to me. <laughs> she should. <laughs> <laughs> well, this last part of the episode, um, and Lisa, you're welcome to introduce it if you want. Um, I think I might've mentioned it, right? Our last day or last. Oh, yeah, word. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to, I mean, your actual last word feels like my last word, but do something, mm -hmm. do something. Yeah. And I'm going to piggyback off of that because when you said make your own solution, that ownership of it, I liked that. And I will be taking that away from our conversation today. I'm glad you're all breaking the rules and not just picking one word because I wrote down really big words. Stop internalizing that bullshit. And I underlined it and I'm going to print it somewhere. That's my last word today. Um, may I end with the quote that I said before? Let people do what they're going to do so you can see what they'd rather do. I wrote that one down too. <laughs> oh, wait, I have one more. This is my favorite one for 2023. And it is letting people be wrong about you or circumstance while keeping your peace and focus is a misunderstood power move. I have so many notes to take after this. <laughs> I know. I like have it all written down. I'm like 2019, we never went anywhere. <laughs> I have it all written down. <laughs> Thank you, Thank so, you guys much. so much for having me. I really had a good time tonight. We have some really exciting news for you today. Our course is officially launching in June of 2023, just in a few short weeks. If you haven't heard, we've been working on a course the three of us together here at the Bold SLP podcast, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. We are very excited to share it with you this summer. We want to be in community with the SLPs, students, other professionals who sign up and just really work at understanding 
the limitations of traditional evaluation methods, dig deeper into how to respectfully work with clients who come from different backgrounds than us, who don't share our lived experiences. So we're really going to focus our attention on solutions and strategies to prevent harm in bilingual and multicultural evaluations. And we hope to see you there. Thank you for listening and supporting the Bold SLP Collective. You can find a closed captioned version of this podcast on our YouTube channel. We will also have show notes on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do all the podcast things. Follow, subscribe, download, and review. And don't forget, we love hearing from you. So connect with us on Instagram at the Bold SLP Collective. Stay bold and humble. See you next time.